What's going on? Welcome to the Matt Bernier Show, part of the In The Money Media Network. My name is Matt Bernier. You can follow me on Twitter, at Bernier underscore Matt. Today is Monday, August the 9th, 2021. This is episode 77 of the program. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, just to name a few. If you're someone who watches along over on YouTube, all you need to do is search bar Matt Burner your show. You will get this episode along with the 76 prior. And please, wherever you take this thing in, rate, review, subscribe, leave comments, thumbs up, thumbs down. All of it helps us just kind of pump things out there and for all sorts of techie reasons. The more interaction we have, the better off we are. So we would greatly appreciate any and all of those things that I just mentioned. On this week's show, we will be joined by two guests. Two guests, and in a way, there's going to be two Friday features. First, we'll have Howard Kravitz, our friend who's been on here many, many times. He's the host of the HHH Racing Podcast. He'll be joining us talking Saratoga on Friday. I'm sure Arlington Park will come up knowing that the Arlington Million and the Beverly D is coming up this weekend. And I know it's not technically the Arlington Million anymore, but since this is for all intents and purposes, what it looks like the end of it, you know, we're going to call it the Arlington Million, and I'm sure that'll be discussed a little bit. Also going to be joined by Jeff Siraki. Jeff, I hope I pronounced your name correctly. I'll find out when we do that interview in a little bit. But uh, he will also be talking about Saratoga on Friday. So the way this is going to work as far as next week's show is concerned, you can basically, you can pick both, or you can pick one of the two. I don't know why you wouldn't play both, but neither here nor there. If you identify a winner in either race, and you have the option to play both of them if you'd like, you need to leave your selection beneath the video player on YouTube if you correctly identify just one of them, one of the two. But you can play both if you want. Double your chances. Uh, I will contact you if, I, I would hope at that point. I mean, sheesh, if we've got that many people getting involved and you all have two opportunities and you only need to have one of the two to be a winner, uh, I will probably have to do a random draw, but I will contact one of you and we'll get something set up for next Monday's show. But before we get into that, I was at a wedding this weekend, still kind of shaking the cobwebs out a little bit. A little, you know, it, it, one of those things you start to it, just you don't bounce back the way that you once did. So the wedding is going on. I have to wait and watch the races afterward and see what happened at Saratoga, specifically for the Whitney. And I watch the tape and I see the fractions and I see the way that Nick's go is moving out there beneath Rosario. And down the backside, he's opened up that five-length lead. He's going, uh, I would call it an honest clip, 46-3 and three for the half mile. And he's put lengths on the field. And it's a short field, but it was a good field. And Joel has now afforded the opportunity to give him a bit of a breather, entering the far turn, save something left in the tank so when they hit the top of the lane, he can push along. He re-brakes, opens up, wins going away. Earns a 111 buyer speed figure, a 130, I believe, non-pace adjusted time form US rating, if my memory serves correct. He he wins rather comfortably, put it that way. And it makes me start thinking, because I had to fill out my top 10 for the Breeders' Cup Classic this morning. I'm going through and I'm looking at it, and we've had a few defections. We, we, we lost Mystic Guide a couple weeks ago. It sounds like he's going to be sidelined. Uh, for, for some time. Mandaloon is out of training now. They're going to be pointing toward the Saudi Cup. He's got a sore foot, apparently. 
So I'm going through and I'm saying, okay, well now I've got to start to figure out how I'm going to put together a top 10. Not only how am I going to put together a top 10, but trying to, and I would encourage folks, if you don't do this already, this is a a good exercise to get in the habit of doing, even if it is just on a day-to-day basis. If you're looking at a, a race on Wednesday from Saratoga or Thursday from Del Mar or whatever it may be, try to envision how the race is going to be run. Not just going through and looking at the PPs, and seeing where horses like to run and this, that, and the other. Take all that into consideration, but try to try to run the race in your mind. If you're watching it on tape or you're watching it at the racetrack, try to envision how it's going to go. Who do you think is going to go where? How hard do you think they're going to have to go to make a certain position? When is another horse going to start making their move down the backside or entering the far turn? Who's going to be in? Who's going to be out? And no, you're not going to be exact all the time. More often than not, you're probably not going to be spot on. But it's a good exercise, a good habit, a visualization sort of exercise to to help you, I think, in the big picture, get a good feel for handicapping how races may end up playing out. So I'm going through the top 10 that I put together for this week's Breeders' Cup Classic Top 10. I have Knicks go one. I have Essential Quality 2, Hot Rod Charlie 3, Max Field 4, Royal Ship 5, Happy Saver 6, Silver State 7, Max Player 8, Express Train 9, and as a bit of a wild card, I threw Forza Dioro in there at 10. Now, I'm looking at those 10 horses, and let's just say, hypothetically, those are the 10 that are going to go to the post for the Breeders' Cup Classic at Del Mar in November. And I'm trying to put together some sort of a visualization of who's going to be where and this that and the other and I continue to come back to the the thought of if these 10 are the 10 that go who on earth could possibly keep Nick's go company early on because I don't think any of these horses has the early foot to naturally just run with Nick's go and not totally compromise themselves we saw with Swiss Skydiver She wasn't even that close to the pace. Granted, she was coming off of a pretty lengthy layoff for a number of reasons. But it's not like she was really, really pushing things. If you look at it from an elapsed standpoint, I mean, she went 47 and 3 to the half. And she was five lengths behind. I don't think there's anyone in this prospective field of 10, again, assuming this is the field that goes, I don't think any one of them has the the early speed to run with next go. Hot Rod Charlie, I, you know, in the past, he has gone fast. He went super fast in the Belmont. But now with the equipment change, and I feel like there has been a bit of a concerted effort or at least a, a, a thought of not having him be reliant on going to run his best. Well, I, I, he may have to go if they're going to have any chance of winning a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic. And the other piece to that puzzle is I still believe that Nick's go is a need-the-lead type. So if someone is able to go and either make him go much faster early on than he wants to, to make the front, or you go so fast and basically show your hand and say, we're not allowing you to get the front. If they then take off and he ends up winning, then you ultimately, you just tip the cap and you say he was the best horse. But to date, he's never shown that he would pass anyone. So if someone is just intent, let's just say Hot Rod Charlie, on making the front, then it'll be up to Rosario to make a decision. Do you end up just, look, we know what our game is. It's speed. We got to just go as fast as we can, knowing that you could probably compromise both of your chances. Or 
do you say, all right, fine, we're going to just sit off the flank and we'll take our chances rounding the far turn. Outside of Hot Rod Charlie, though, as much as I, I like Royal Ship, and I still think he's a, I still think he's kind of sneaky, and be very curious to find out how he's going to run in, in the Pacific Classic. I would hope they're going to be much more aggressive with him early on because I think that's when he does his best running. But I, I don't know that I think he's really fast enough to run with Nick Sko. Essential quality, he, I mean, I, it seems very clear that his best running style is from off of it with a target. I, I think he won the bluegrass. It was a combination of him just being the best horse, but also, you know, it didn't hurt that highly motivated, didn't want to go that far. Essential quality is a horse that I think is best a few lengths off of it, and then he gets that engine warmed up and he comes at you. The problem is, if Nick's goes got a six or seven hit length head start, as good as essential quality is, boy, that is a that's a big ask. That's a big, big ask. You look at the rest of the field that I've got listed. Some of them I don't believe are true mile and a quarter types. Silver State, I feel like he didn't run poorly on Saturday to finish third. But I, I, I to me, that kind of showed that at the, at the best, at the highest level, I don't think he's really a longer distance horse. I think he's a mile or one turn type. Maybe the Breeders' Cup Dirt Mile, maybe the Cigar Mile at the end of the year. Those kind of races, I could see Silver State fitting in very, very nicely. Swiss Skydiver. Send her back against the distaff division. She'll be just fine there. Maxfield, I maintain. I don't really believe he's a mile and a quarter type. And again, if he's going to start his run at roughly the same time that Essential Quality is, I just think Essential Quality is a better horse. So that hurts his chances. By my standards, to be fair, he never had a chance given the start. Um, but I, you know, I've, I've said it a million times. As much as I love him, I think he's a grade one slash grade two type. I don't think he's actually the cream of the crop. Max Player, I suppose, that, that new early foot that he showed in the Suburban, maybe that goes a long way, but I, you know, he's got to prove to me that that wasn't just a one-off and or a product of the wet track. Express Train, he's got nice little early speed, but it's not like he's a speedball. He's not a 46 and change type. Forza Dioro, he was much closer to the pace in his return to the races than he had been last year. But even having said that, it's not like he's one that, that potentially has that gear. So Nick's go, he, he showed the ability on Saturday to drop a legitimate half mile and still be able to finish faster than anyone else. He went 46-76 to the half, and he stopped the clock in 47-3. and three. His final eighth of a mile... After being five lengths clear a half mile into the race, his final eighth was faster than any other horses in the race, and by a rather healthy margin, nearly two lengths between he and Maxfield. Next goes final eighth was in 12.86. Maxfield's was in 13.12. I have a hard time seeing a scenario in which one of these horses turns the table on him, unless someone effectively is the sacrificial lamb and just goes out there and says, we're making the front or we're going to make you go 45 to the half and then prove to us that you can handle 10 furlongs. Now, that's another piece to this thing. Some folks maintain that he is not a 10 furlong horse. Uh, perhaps that'll end up playing out. Based on what I've seen so far, I don't know that I can... I have no reason to believe he won't get 10 furlongs. He hasn't shown any goofiness. He hasn't shown any, there's been nothing for me to suggest that another quarter mile or another eighth of a mile in this case is going to be to his undoing or be his undoing. I don't see it. So 
basically, I'm looking at this going, uh, how, how does he lose the Breeders' Cup Classic barring something unforeseen? And I bring that up a number of times. Barring the jockey falling off, barring him falling out of the gate, injury, whatever it may be. Those things you have to factor in when you're trying to talk about it from a probability standpoint. Randomness happens. You have to factor that in. Outside of the unforeseen things, like those, how does he lose? Because he's controlling speed. He's arguably the most talented horse right now. I mean, we talked about it on on Happy Hour last week with, with PTF. If you draw a line through the Met in the Saudi Cup, the two turn races that this horse has run for Brad Cox, he's earned buyers of 100, 107, 108, 108, 113, 111, and the smallest margin of victory in any of those races, those are all the two-turn routes, the smallest margin of victory was two and three quarters. I mean, he's, he's building a very strong case to not just be the favorite, but to be a prohibitive favorite. And it made me start thinking, well, what's who could possibly be the, the fly in the ointment? And I don't have him listed in my top ten, but I'm gonna kind of stake the flag, you know, put the flag in the ground. The key to this entire division is life is good. Because if life is good comes back in the Allen Jerkins and does what I think most people think he's capable of, but granted, he's gonna have to deal with some big names in there, most notably Jackie's Warrior. You would assume the long game is to stretch him out in distance, get him back to two turns. I kind of maintain, I think, the idea of the Jerkins to the Pennsylvania Derby, mile and an eighth, end of September, still three-year-olds. I think that's a very logical progression. And then from there, you can stretch him back out to the classic. He is the only horse that I can think of right now, and if you know someone else or I'm just glancing over someone, leave a comment beneath the video player on YouTube or send me a message on Twitter, at Bernie or underscore Matt. And not a DM, just tweet at me. If life is good can come back and, and be as good as he was when we last saw him in Southern California with Baffert, because he was exceptional. Again, keeping in mind the time of year that he ran the race that he did and the figure that he earned at that point in the year as a three-year-old. That's really not far off from Nick's go right now. And I know that sounds kind of bonkers, but he earned a 107 in March, early March, as a three-year-old going two turns. It was a mile and a 16th, but you would think a mile and an eighth is well within his range based on the way that he ran. He beat a pretty good field. Medina Spirit was in there. If the Jerkins is a nice stepping stone to a race like the Pennsylvania Derby, and I'm just throwing the PA Derby out there, but I think that's a very logical, reasonable move following the 7-8 race. He's the only horse, I think, that could end up being sort of the foil to Nick's go for a number of reasons. A, he's the only one, I think, that would be fast enough early on to make Joel have to make a decision about what are we going to do? Do we just commit to the front or are we going to take back because this horse is probably as fast as us early on naturally? B, if even if he's nothing more than a pace presence and he can soften Nick's go up 
he all of a sudden can bring the rest of these horses into play. The horses who are going to sit a few lengths off of it, an essential quality, a Maxfield, a Hot Rod Charlie, they all all of a sudden become much more feasible as opposed to a scenario in which Nick's go is three or four clear down the backside going 46 and change. It's, their job is very difficult to go and run him down in that scenario. If he's got to go 46 and two and he's going head and head and there's a bit of a duel out there, now all of a sudden the job of everyone else coming from slightly off of it becomes far more reasonable and feasible. Something that in theory could work out. But the other piece could really ultimately be life is good, maybe just as good. We don't know. The sample size is so small. But the talent, I, I don't think anyone can argue that the talent is exceptional. So we'll find out when he comes back to the races at the end of the month here up at Saratoga. First time going out for Todd. Even if he doesn't win that race, I just think you want to get a good run out of him. A competitive effort. I think of uh, very similar to like an Uncle Mo situation way back when. When Todd had him off the bench, he comes back in, in the King's Bishop at the time, and he nearly wins the thing. It was a giant, giant effort in the big picture. I would expect something similar to that from Life is Good in the Allen Jerkins at the end of the month. From there, you stretch him out, and hopefully, if he handles the distance with no issue, which, again, I don't think he should have any problem, but you never know, then you at least have a decision to make. Is it the Classic? Is it the Dirt Mile? Is it the Sprint? And if it's the classic, it's a, probably a vote of confidence that they think he can do it. So you have a few different scenarios that could potentially be the reason that a horse like Nick's go doesn't prevail. But if life is good is not present in that spot, maybe I'm making it too cut and dry, but I just have a difficult time looking at this field and seeing who could possibly run with him with the way that he's going right now. Both from a pace standpoint and just from an overall talent standpoint. The fastest horse with a pace advantage is going to win a hell of a lot more often than not. Let me know what your thoughts are beneath the video player on YouTube or on Twitter. At Bernie or underscore Matt about the Whitney and about the classic division as a whole. Again, did I miss someone? Am I sort of forgetting about a name that's sort of lurking in the weeds, waiting for their opportunity to come out. Keeping in mind, I'm talking both from a talent standpoint, but also equally as important, a pace standpoint. He just is so much faster than any of these horses I just rattled off early on. That at that point, the damage may be done already, and it becomes very, very difficult to run them down. He reminds me so much of Game On Dude. When he is out there and he's at his best, He's really, really difficult to run down, but there is always that scenario. For whatever reason you don't make the front, for whatever reason somebody else wants to go with you, crazier things have happened. Let me know what your thoughts are, but right now, I have a difficult time, as much as I like some of these other horses. I have a difficult time envisioning a scenario in which Nick Sko doesn't win the Breeders' Cup Classic and doesn't get named Horse of the Year, honestly. With the Whitney, the Pegasus, and a Breeders' Cup Classic under his belt. I mean, that, that's the horse of the year. So, we'll see what happens. Still a long way to go. Still got a, a handful of months. 
But right now, all signs are pointing toward Nick's go being not just the favorite for a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic, but a prohibitive one at that. Now, let's transition into some some recent racing, or some racing that's getting ready to happen over the next few days. Specifically on Friday, but again, we will be touching about some of the stuff coming up this Saturday at Arlington Park. Let's get into the dual Friday features. We'll start off with our good friend, Howard Kravitz. All right, the first half of the Friday feature this week, our good friend Howard Kravitz from the HHH Racing Podcast joins us. Howard was one of two individuals to correctly identify Dynamic One, which feels like a million years ago. It was only two weeks ago, but with everything that's going on, uh, here we are making up for some lost time. Howard, how are you? I'm doing great, Matt. Thanks for uh, having me on the show once again. appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely. Um, first things first, before we dive into your race and any of the other things that we'll talk about, where can folks find you on Twitter and where can they find the podcast? Well, thanks for asking, Matt. They can find me on Twitter at uh, Kravitz, And also, uh, as you mentioned, my uh, podcast, I want to publicly really quickly just thank yourself, PTF and JK, as we are co-workers as I work for the In The Money uh, Media as, as a uh, blog writer for Canterbury. But uh this marks almost one year, Matt, to the day, actually, August 11th, that I was on your show for the first time, and I'll be able to parlay that into the uh, HHH Racing Podcast on YouTube, so I want to thank you very much for that. About 500 subscribers and almost 25,000 views later, um, I've had a lot of fun with my podcast, and so uh, I really appreciate uh, the chance for to be on your show and gave me some uh, uh, national appearances, so thank you. Almost a year ago. That that's wild. I didn't realize it had been that yeah. long already. August eleventh was the. I looked it up. I actually looked it up today. First time I was on your show was August eleventh. So it's almost exactly a year. Crazy. Well, and, and the good news is, again, it's it's one of those things that I feel like if if people put themselves out there and show other people that they have a knack for certain things and basically just prove that you know what you're talking about, you're going to have people that go and listen and follow you that don't even necessarily listen or follow the person that kind of introduced people. So I think it's one of those things. And I've had people ask me about writing and different things like that. I go, if you put yourself out there enough and the content is good, people will go, they'll go and listen, they'll go and pay attention to it. So uh, you deserve all the credit in the world for, for getting to, to where things are right now. Um, happy if we could have been any sort of help to kind of launch things off for you. So let's, before we get into Friday, your race, you chose Saratoga race seven, which I haven't done really much of a deep dive on anything for the Friday piece. Jeff has the tail of the cat coming up later on in that card. We'll be talking to him momentarily. So you get half of the late pick four for Friday afternoon. The race that you selected just looks like an absolute war on paper, but we'll get to that in a bit. I know both you and Jeff had acknowledged that knowing that this is Arlington Million weekend coming up and all signs would seem to point toward this being the last one, and I'm going to continue to call it the Arlington Million, despite the fact that that's not technically what it is this year. Um, as a Chicago guy, just a, a brief not to get too, you know, sentimental or emotional with it, but what does it mean to you that this is this might be the last one? Yeah, you know, a lot of mixed emotions. Um, I've had some great times, Arlington, just like everyone else. You talk to anyone that's been there; it's pretty much the most beautiful track in the country. I mean, the inside is kept very clean. It's modern. It's absolutely gorgeous since they rebuilt it after the fire in the in the mid '80s that they had there. Um, having a lot of, you know, great memories. And in terms of Million Day specifically, 
it's always nice to see really high quality horses come to your track only about 20 minutes away. Um, the last few years, unfortunately, the quality Arlington has just been absolutely awful. And that's a whole other conversation to be had. But, uh, you know, seeing horses of recent memory, like Bricks and Mortar and Chad Brown bring his horses and some very good horses coming over from Europe are always in this race, along with the Beverly D, which is the female uh, counterpart. It's just always wonderful to see fast, beautiful horses of high quality running on that turf course. But, you know, it does sure look like this is going to be the last one. And it's really a shame because a lot of people are going to lose their jobs and there's just a lot of negatives unfortunately to a track closing but i'm going to go there saturday um with a with a with a good heart and uh and it, the weather is gonna be fantastic and i'm just gonna enjoy every minute of it and and some of the at least you know again you, you try to make the best of a less than stellar situation it sounds like there should be some good horses lined up on saturday afternoon santa barbara is supposed to be coming over for o'brien obviously domestic spending who we've talked about yeah. so many times so it should hopefully be a great day of racing to kind of you know a, a nice send-off if you will for for arlington park and, and everyone involved now for for you so far and i guess before we get into the race race number seven at saratoga one half of this week's friday feature um i talked at the top of the show about the whitney and nixco and I, I didn't really prep you for this, but I'm just curious your thoughts in general. You know, I, I went through, I'm having a hard time seeing a scenario unless he misses the break or he stumbles or Rosario falls off or whatever it may be. I don't know any of these other horses in that division that are fast enough to run with him early on. And if you don't believe that he can get 10 furlongs, that's up to you as the handicapper. I'm not going to argue. I don't agree with it, but I'm not going to argue with somebody that that's their opinion. If you think he can get 10, he's going to have the tactical advantage and he's the fastest horse. How does Nick's go get beat in a race like the Breeders' Cup Classic? Well, Matt, I had I had someone email me uh, because I've been pronouncing it K Nick's go on my podcast and someone emailed me and saying, am I just throwing shade at the horse? And I believe it is pronounced Te K Nick's go. But anyway, technically, that's a whole I believe other, you're correct. Technically, that's you a whole are other correct. conversation. Yes. Um, listen, I he looks he look he could absolutely win that race. I still it's not the distance so much as he's going to be running over Del Mar for the first time. He loves the turns. Those turns are a little more wide and sweeping. It's a very long run into the first turn in that BC classic at Del Mar. And I think of a really high quality horse that has early speed, like for example, hot rod, Charlie continually puts pressure on him or is only a length off. I still don't love K Nix go in the classic, to be honest, but you know, you could go with a lot of worse horses. He's going to be on the lead. Like you said, I just, in the last two races, I mean, has he really faced the upper echelon older horses in this division? No disrespect to anyone who's run, including Maxfield. Like you've mentioned on your shows, I think the three-year-olds are the best looking horses right now, other than K Nick's go. So, you know, if Hot Rod Charlie puts pressure on him and you got essential quality only a few lengths off, I mean, it's going to be a very, Forza Dioro might continue to improve. Uh, but listen, K Nick's go is a, is a super freaky fast horse. That's for sure. He's in raging form right now, and the good news is we still have a few months before the Breeders' Cup Classic, so many, many things can change between now and then. Uh, but it, it was at least worth acknowledging that, boy, th that performance on Saturday, that was something else. Talking about what's to come, let's talk about Friday. Let's talk about race number seven. These are New York-bred N1X runners going a mile on the inner turf up at Saratoga. Knock on wood, the weather cooperates. You always have the unknown chance of, a, of an outside 
thunder shower that goes rolling through Saratoga Springs this time of year. So there's never a 0% chance, but I think we should be okay. Keep an eye on that, obviously. Um, this field right here, you've got a number of them on the AE list as well, but it looks like it's going to be a full field of 12, or it should be. Um, I, I guess let's just start from a, a pace standpoint. I'm going to kind of just throw it to you. H how do you go through a race like this? Are there certain things that you're looking for? And ultimately, who'd you land on? Well, Flavian Pratt is not riding in this race, so that means <laughs> there will be no pace because that guy's been unbelievable on Flavius Colima. I mean, we could go on and on. Um, there's a better chance of a pop-up thunderstorm at Saratoga than an actual fast early pace in this race. I'll just say that because it just it doesn't develop. But crazy enough, there are several horses coming out of the uh, same race here. The four, five, six, nine, ten, and eleven are all coming out of the July twenty-fourth race at Saratoga. So I would highly recommend those of you that are playing this race or betting the pick four or five, watch the replay. And interestingly enough, Matt, that was one of the very few races where actually a hot pace did develop and there was a complete meltdown, which is, you know, one of the main reasons why the number 11, my lips are sealed, could not get the job done at even money. So it sure looks like that he could be loose, but there are some horses on the inside that are interesting that I think will make this horse go. And the 11 hole going a mile on the inner, not an easy task whatsoever. Well, and, and now you also get a move from Eric Cancel, who I, I think is still one of the more underappreciated riders. It feels like this year as a whole, going all the way back to the winter meet at Aqueduct, I feel like he took that step forward that I think many people expected him to at some point. Um, but uh, the horse was favored with Cancel aboard, now with a rat aboard. On Friday afternoon, you're probably looking at something close again to that even money price. And to your point, it's not going to be an easy sort of trip to navigate from that outside draw. From a pace standpoint, though, I mean, this is one who looks to have a, a relatively, I don't want to say decided advantage from a tactical standpoint, but there are other horses who should be reasonably close. They happen to be down toward the inside. I mean, do you give any of the wild cards like a, a pretty clever or a horse? In that nature, uh, you talked about Mopolka, who also came out of that July 24th race. But I, I guess I specifically am thinking of a horse like Pretty Clever, who on paper doesn't look very fast. You have no real idea about the turf, but I kind of like to look for fresh faces in races like this. So, I mean, what, do you look uh, in a certain direction like that, or do you kind of fall in line with the form of the race that most of these horses exit? Yeah, man, I totally agree. I want no part of anyone coming out of the July 24th race, except my lips are sealed. Very quickly, Matt, the horses that uh, finished first, second, and third in that race were 8-1, to 17-1, to one, and 49-1. to one. And at the first quarter call, they were 8th, 10th, and 6th. So I know you talk about looking at the form quite a bit. I mean, the race completely fell apart. Some of these horses that closed and got a good number – um, I think really took advantage of the situation. I don't want any part of them whatsoever. There are some horses on the inside. If, if you want me to talk about ones that I think are interesting, pretty clever, does not have a lot of turf breeding, but uh, he has got some early speed in Gaffleo and you'd think he'd have to go. Pure Bodie, who is, I think, an interesting horse, number one for Mark Hennig, who's, by the way, is 15% off the layoff, 36% um, in the money off the layoff with a $1.83 ROI, has got some back numbers that fit and lost to Spongy, who would be two to five in this spot. So I think Pure Bodhi is interesting. I don't know if you want me to go with my top pick yet, but I, again, there are some interesting horses on the inside. They'll show speed. 
another one uh, to, to pure Bodhi's point as well. Uh, if my mind is not totally fried, uh, I believe this is the younger sister to pure sensation who was the, you know, I don't know if he's a great one winner, but I mean, he was one of the best turf sprinters that we've had over the past probably five years in New York. Yeah. So I'm always interested that they seem to want to campaign her longer than shorter, but we'll, we'll find out. And to your point, I don't think she should totally be dismissed because she has shown she saw glimpses, put it that way. Maybe she hasn't turned into what her older brother ultimately turned into, but I do think she's at least shown a little bit of ability and she shouldn't be too far out of the running early on, second off the bench for Henning and company. Um, I, you know, what do you do with more glitter in a spot like this? And I don't want to blow up your spot if that happens to be your selection, but Mike Maker's horses, they're just running all of them. And even when they don't win, they're right there. They're in the mix. Uh, you get Jose, but moving from Todd Pletcher, the the recently inducted to the Hall of Fame Todd Pletcher, I don't know that I'm expecting a forward move, but it's not as though this one really needs to improve by leaps and bounds to be a contender. What do you think of more glitter? I'll tell you what you do with more glitter. You, you pick her. You, you <laughs> put her on top. I, I like more glitter for a lot of reasons here, Matt. I mean, obviously, my lips are sealed, can win. And to me, this horse is either an A or a C. And I've talked about this on my podcast. When you have a horse that's favored and you're wishy-washy with her, you know, using as a B is just too expensive for those of you that use ABC tickets. You either pretty much single her, I think, or you almost toss her or use her very defensively. More Glitter is a very interesting horse. Now, yes, you know, she's coming off of Pletcher and Pletcher could, you know, train any horse. If they ran the race in the parking lot, he could win the race. But Michael Maker off the claim. I mean, do I need to say more? This horse also costs a lot of money. I think it's 340000 And interestingly enough, Matt, this horse ran as a two-year-old and ran a 65 buyer. I mean, that was as a baby in her yeah. second start. That fits right now with almost anyone in this field. Now, uh, she took time off, obviously. I'm not sure what happened. Uh, Pletcher put her in, in, a, in a dirt race in the mud. Um, that seemed to be just a prep for the April 10th race, her last race. And she was up close now. That was 22 and 44 and two going six furlongs. So obviously this horse has speed. Mike Rapoli has a lot of intention, I think, at this meet. And by the way, if you folks didn't see Mike Rapoli's speech that he gave before Todd Pletcher came on, it was typical Mike Rapoli. You'd have to watch it, the Hall of Fame speech. But anyway... I think Jose is going to have her just off the lead, Matt, and let Mapolka or Pretty Clever hopefully push my lips are sealed. And I think more glitter is very interesting. We don't have morning lines as if this uh, recording. I'm guessing the morning line will be, you know, five, six to one. You'll probably get somewhere around that. And I think she's very interesting if Jose can just work out a trip and the horse can improve. She's that kind of horse that has a, a page that, to me, is the definition of dirty up. Because you have that big effort, as you alluded to, when she was two years old, that 65 buyer in her only route on grass in her career. And then you've got two off the turf races. I don't want to hold those against her. She comes back off a, you know, a year and a half sort of layoff almost. Uh, really, again, dirt, not really too worried about that. Then they try her going short on turf, which precedes another lengthy layoff. So to me, you really haven't got a representative run from her for the better part of two years now. And, and I think you're going to at least have the opportunity to see what she can do here in a spot like this on Friday. I like that the way you laid it out from a tactical standpoint, Jose probably doesn't have her maybe pushing the pace, but she's certainly not coming from the back. She's going to be probably tucked in. I would think in that kind of pocket ish sort of trip. And I don't see any reason if you get that sort of nine to two, five to one price, 
I think she fits in here just as well as anyone. Uh, this would be another one I would encourage folks, although I don't even know if you're going to be able to find out because she's been down at Belmont. But if you can find any way of getting some sort of a training workout report to find out how she's been doing, I think that would certainly go a long way. But I'm, I'm with you in a race like this where you've got so many coming out of a common race. I think you either need to make the call. You love that race. And I'm going to go with one of those, arguably whoever had the worst of it. And in this case, it probably would be my lips are sealed or I don't want any of them. And let me shop around for a fresh face that I think I can make a case for. And Howard Kravitz, your selection in race number seven at Saratoga on Friday, the first half of the Friday features, the number two, more glitter from Mike Maker and Jose Ortiz. Uh, Howard, before we let you go, uh, again, just remind folks where they can find you on Twitter, where they can find the podcast, and what, put it this way, anyone who is new or is going to go to Arlington for the weekend and they've never been there before, is there anything that they have to go and check out before they end up leaving for the day? Sure. So again, my Twitter handles at hkravitz, H-K-R-A-V as in victory, E-T-S. In terms of the HHH Racing Podcast, just go to the YouTube search bar and just type in HHH Racing Podcast. You can find all my videos. I I also do a a pick five at the spa segment the night before each uh, Saratoga uh, day. I I cover the late pick five. And then uh, in terms of Arlington... um, I'll, I, the food is a little overpriced, just like many uh, <laughs> uh, racetracks, but uh, really good deli sandwiches up on the, if, they, if they're going to have them for a million day, which I think they will, I think it's on the second floor. If you're into into like turkey, roast beef, kind of uh, quality deli sandwich, I'd recommend at Arlington. But listen, it's, it's going to be a great day. I'm going to enjoy it uh, to the fullest. Again, the weather is going to be great. You already mentioned some really high quality horses. Zula Alpha, by the way, is is running second off the layoff in the million um, armory for um, Aiden O'Brien's coming in from Europe, supposedly. But anyway, it's going to be a great day and uh, hope people can get to Arlington at least one more time before it uh, closes here in uh, mid-September. I got to get ready to record Jeff's segment. Um, how was Pebble Beach? Oh, uh, listen, I, I, I thought you might ask. So uh, I don't know if you, I've got, can you see the, Yo, that? Yeah. If you want one, I can, there's the yardage book. Got his book, yeah. I've got, uh, let's see, real quick. I know you got, let's see, I've got the uh, scorecard. There it is. And uh, the bag tag. Let's see, you got the, there it is, the, the bag tag with personalized. Oh, on the wow. Back. You really went for it. Listen, you could, uh, I need to hit some pick fives, Matt, because it took a nice chunk out of my, uh, pocketbook. It is, it is, it's quite expensive there, but it was absolutely unbelievable. I sent out on Twitter, my tee shot on 18 and my final putt on 18, which some people, so you can criticize, you can, uh, talk to me, give me some tips about my swing since I know you're an avid golfer, but, uh, the fact that you and I, Matt have probably played two of the best public courses in the country, if not the world between Beth page black and Pebble beach is probably, uh, uh, pretty cool. It was, it was, it was amazing, man. Well, and I got, I got to show off my swag of one of those All too. Right. So this is my little, um, old course. They give you a, a little, Oh man, a little baggie with all of your goodies in there. And there's your, <laughs> there's your yardage book and all that stuff. Right. And oh man. Yeah. I mean, this is, these are all, and I keep my, what I would deem my special scorecards in here. So this is the Beth page black scorecard. This is a nice little one. It's a terrible number. Oh. I'm not going to show you the inside of it. Um, you know, the, the St. Andrews one. Yeah. I mean, it's, I, so uh, believe me, you can, you Valhalla, you know, we, we can keep going oh. there, but I, I can understand 
where you're coming you've from got, having you've all the swag. You've got some better ones than I do. No, but I can understand. I, I only have one regret about Pebble is number seven, the short par three. Yeah. I, I didn't hit the green. I was really – but three three other shots on the course, the T shot at 18, the T shot at one, and the second shot at number eight, for those of you who know, which is over the ocean. I did hit the green from 170 legitimately. It happened. It was amazing. So three of the four shots I really wanted to hit well, I did hit well on Pebble. But those greens, by the way, are brutal and really small, by the way, really small yeah. greens. And if you're above the hole at Pebble, folks, you're in a lot of trouble. But I'm not good enough, Matt, to hit my irons, you know, short of the hole. I'm just happy to get it on the green. So but it was it was it was tremendous. It was- I think the good I think the good thing about any of those sort of bucket list kind of courses is it really doesn't even matter how you play. You're out there. No. If you take it in for what it is, uh, you're going to have a good time no matter what. But I had I had to ask. I saw the the 18th tee shot. I saw the the final putt on 18. I heard the the round of applause from Did the, hear the uh, bystanders. Yeah. <laughs> the <roar. laughs> well, there's like 30 or 40 people watching, you know, from the clubhouse, like every um, every group come up. So it's just it's a it's an amazing atmosphere. It's uh, I highly recommend it for anyone that can afford it and is a big golf fan. It's uh you know, I played Spyglass Hill also, which was really cool as well. So it's just uh, that peninsula is just unbelievable. I had to ask before I let you go. I appreciate oh, yeah. you, you giving. Thanks us- for allowing me to show some swag. <laughs> <laughs> I, pre- I appreciate you giving us a rundown. Howard Kravitz, go follow him on Twitter. Go check out the HHH Racing Podcast. Howard, have a great Saturday afternoon out at Arlington Park, uh, and we'll catch up again soon. Thanks a lot, Matt. Really appreciate it. Have a great day. All right, second half of this week's Friday feature joined by Jeff Siraki. Jeff was the other person outside of Howard who correctly identified Dynamic One what seems like many, many moons ago. It was only a couple of weeks, but uh, better late than never. Jeff, thank you so much for uh, taking a little bit of time and joining the show. Yeah, no problem. does seem like a while ago with so many stakes that we all had uh, that we saw last, uh, last week. But glad to be here. Thanks for reaching out to me and making sure that I was available after I dropped the ball and didn't, didn't contact people. Look, I'm, I'm as bad as anyone about checking in and making sure that things are all lined up. So I'm, I'm as guilty as, as any party involved with any of these things. I feel bad whenever I forget to contact someone. I always look at it. I see it as Friday night, the race is over. I go, well, let's just, you know, I'll give them the night. It's, it's eight o'clock. Nobody needs an email on a Friday night at eight o'clock. And then Saturday comes and goes. And before I know it, it's Sunday afternoon. And I go, oh, Jesus, we got to do this thing in about a, a day. So I apologize for, for anyone who has to ever deal with my issues. Uh, before we get into racing and any of that kind of stuff, this is, uh, to my recollection, anyway, the first time you've been on. Um, let's get a little bit of background. Uh, where are you from? How did you get involved? And, and we'll talk about the handicapping in a little bit. Yeah, this is my first time on. Thanks for having me. My first time that I picked the Friday feature. So I'm currently undefeated one for one. We'll see whether that changes uh, after this week. Not to brag or anything. Batting a thousand. Can't, get any, can't go anywhere but uh, down from here. I think so. <laughs> um, you know, I'm, I'm in the Chicago area. I, I live in Chicago and I got my start in being interested uh, in horse racing, like a lot of people from grandparents and parents taking me to the track, uh, Balmoral, Maywood. Um, Arlington especially and so it's a very sad year here with Arlington um, perhaps likely having the last year but you know I got into it from that and then you know being uh, somebody that is more statistically inclined I just love the the puzzle the um, you know the, I view this as a multivariate equation where we can take you know uh, dozens of different variables and 
the puzzle of who's going to come at this time and work it out and trying to figure out. And if you're right, it's awesome. You get a little money, but the satisfaction of being right sometimes is is even better than the money. But that's that's nice. This is a very Chicago-oriented show because Howard is based out in that area as well. I believe he's only about 20 minutes outside of Arlington. So this is a good way for me to kind of segue into that as well. Um, it sounds like, again, as someone you kind of cut your teeth there, uh, I already brought it up with Howard and asked for his thoughts and feelings. And without getting too too deep into it, just your – I have to imagine for anyone in that area that's a horse racing fan, anywhere, anywhere if that's a horse racing fan, but specifically for the local folks – in that kind of Chicagoland area. Um, I mean, it's got to be a bit of a bittersweet weekend coming up here with the final Arlington Million and Beverly D upon us. Yeah, just so, so many great memories. And I think the Arlington, the grounds are so beautiful, the grandstand. And one of the things that I always loved, you know, I'm not, I don't come from horse racing families in the industry or anything of that sort. And, you know, if you like horse racing you know, a little bit, then in certain in a lot in certain circles that kind of makes you a the oddball or a unique person so one of the things i'd love to do would be to take my friends or family members or people that weren't necessarily into racing now my kids friends uh and bring them out to arlington and just a hundred percent of the time they'd be so so amazed at how beautiful the place is you could go and bring families bring a date and i i love hawthorne i think what the Carey family is doing for illinois racing is great uh, and I want to support Hawthorne a lot, especially since Arlington's probably going to be gone. Um, but you can't quite say uh, that those types of things about the, uh, the Hawthorne grounds. Now, it sounds like you had alluded to sort of the analytical side of things, and you didn't necessarily grow up in a, a horse racing family or, or have a background situation like that directly into the industry. Um, I, without, you know, prying too, too much, does your day-to-day -day work sort of involve any sort of analytics. I have some friends who I wouldn't call them, you know, through and through horse players, but some of the guys that I've brought to Saratoga in the past that I grew up with when we were, you know, much, much younger, um, they went on to become actuaries and accountants and things like that. So the numbers for them, it's just, you know, basically just second nature. So it, right. do you have a similar sort of background? Um, not, not necessarily. My wife is an accountant, but I'm actually a psychologist. And so okay. I have a I have a doctorate uh, in, in psychology and as part of that, uh, you know, writing a dissertation or taking statistical classes and multivariate modeling. And that's when I came, kind of came to realize, hmm, a lot of this uh, is, you know, it's like a complex multivariate equation. Uh, that said, you know, it's an art and a science. So sometimes I, I throw everything out of the model anyway. So uh, that's one of the great things about racing is you can spend hours uh, as we know, you can spend hours looking at past performances and sometimes do well, sometimes not, or you can just pick based on the color of the silks and sometimes that might work out as well. So um, let's talk a little bit about your handicapping philosophy. So to that point, are you someone, do you actually go through and have some sort of a, a model that you grind and crunch the numbers through? I know I do that with sports as opposed to horse racing. Horses for me, it's a little bit more of a feel kind of thing. You know, you have all of your statistics and all of your numbers, and then you kind of couple that with the replays and, and maybe a few other things. For me, most of my sports stuff, though, specifically with the hockey models that I use and Premier League models and things like that, 
really it is, it's taking in multi, you know, a number of different variables and putting it into an equation. And what the number comes out is the number comes out. And that's what I go with. Do you do that with horse racing or do you have a little bit of a different philosophy? Yeah, typically more, like I said, uh, even though I, even though I said earlier about the statistics and so forth, that said, um, it is more of an art than looking at uh, videos. I try to watch a lot of videos. The truth is, um, you know, I have, I have two young kids at home. I'm working full time. Most of my handicapping is done about with about five minutes to post. Uh, but if it's one of those big days where there's a carryover or where, uh, you know, it's a big day and I know there's going to be a lot, I'm going to be putting a lot into play then I'll be waking up early before the rest of my family. And I'll be, um, you know, looking at everything that, that everyone else looks at. I don't think what I do is, is any unique, uh, any, in any way, but looking at past performances, videos, I really tried over the past year or two, um, as I've gotten into it more during the pandemic, um, to really try and bet a little smarter, you know, as there's a, there's a whole debates on Twitter about, uh, horse racing Twitter about how to, uh, how to bet smarter and maximize your opinion. And I've really been trying to do that uh, more. So that's that's kind of what I've been focusing on over the past. Be careful on horse racing Twitter. It's not a good spot all the time. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it's a, don't get me wrong. Don't get me wrong. There, there's a lot of great that comes from it, but there's just as much that can drive you crazy when you look at it for too, too long. Not just horse racing Twitter. I, that's true enough. True enough, social media in general. Well, let's take some of those handicapping principles that you kind of alluded to and some of the things that you look at and try to figure out how this ninth race at Saratoga on Friday afternoon is going to go. It is the tail of the cat stakes, six furlongs on the main track. The beautiful part of this between Jeff and Howard, we've got half the late pick four taken care of. We've already heard about race number seven. Let's talk a little bit about race number nine here. Only a field of six, but I think it's a, a compelling race to go through. And sometimes these shorter fields, they can be more difficult to actually make heads or tails of than larger fields. I, I'm curious from a, a pace standpoint, A, is that something that you really kind of hang your hat on from a handicapping standpoint and, and kind of B, dovetailing that? Um, I look at the outside three runners in this field, and I think they've all got speed. So what's your overall kind of feel on how the dynamics of the race could play out? Yeah, that's, yeah, that's was my first look when I, when I looked at the, you know, I always try and one of the first things I do, obviously, is I try and imagine how the race might play out. And yeah, the speed is kind of all, uh, all to the outside um, there. And, you know, I do think uh, what I like to do is probably many people do is to kind of go through and say, okay, which one of these can I, can I kind of eliminate from my, from my tickets? And this is one where it's tough, even though there's only six, it's tough to do that. I think anyone uh, anyone could win. And, and I, even though this is my first time on, I know saying that kind of thing might be the kind of thing you say when you're, uh, that way when you're wrong, you can say, well, I already told you anyone can win. Um, but, uh, you know, the positive way of looking at it, the glass half full is that anyone can win. The negative way maybe is that all are flawed to varying degrees. Um, and, you know, that maybe is to be expected a little bit given the condition, which is um, horses that have not won a graded uh, a graded stakes uh, this this past year. So the field reminded me a little bit of my uh, my basketball career, kind of occasional glimpses of ability to keep the dream alive, but not really competitive when stepping up to face actual talent. That that little thing called class, it's still there, even That's though I, I'm I you know I believe the foundation of all handicapping should be speed figures. Boy, that class piece, there's still something to that where. You know, I'll just, you know, equate it to myself with like golf or something like that. It's one thing to shoot 75 at a relatively easy course. It's another thing to shoot 75 at a much more difficult course and in a tournament as opposed to being out there 
with your buddies. It's, it's apples to oranges in that case. Um, with the speeds on the outside, you know, Foolish Ghost, PTF and I were on the happy hour a couple of weeks back when they ran the Morrissey Foolish Ghost prevailed that day. I thought, and I still maintain, despite the fact that he sat off a 15 or 16 to one shot, that he is effectively a need the lead type. And I'm not totally convinced with the two horses just who was inside, wonder where Craig is, as well as the four wind of change. He may be able to do that, but how hard is he going to have to work to procure that position? And if he doesn't get it, do you think that totally eliminates him or do you think he can sit and actually be successful? Yeah, you know, my comment was uh, another with a lot of early speed that, that certainly has a chance, but it's not going to get as easy of a lead as, as has gotten in the past when, you know, asked uh, to maybe do uh, go against a little bit less competition. I did watch that replay uh, where he um, where he dueled and put away and my boy Tate, another uh, another competitor is, is, is far, farther behind in that one. Um, but yeah, I, I just think stepping up in class here seems to be in the headed in the right direction. But just given the other speed right next to him, um, I, I was going to kind of go in a different uh, direction. But certainly has a chance it can clear uh, the four and, and five. And talking about it from a class standpoint, wonder where Craig is is one of those speed horses. Just purely from a speed figure standpoint, he actually stacks up quite well against this field, or at least he's right in there in and amongst them. But is there a concern not just because of the speed, but because he's been taking on slightly weaker? Is there any concern that maybe this is going to be a little bit too difficult for him? Yeah, you know, another speed ball that fired a huge effort last out. I was a little weary and I went back and watched the race from two back where it uh, looks like really not facing too much against Delaware uh, Park um, optional claiming and just really didn't show up, uh, was favored um, odds on in that race and lost to a 30 to one shot. And so I didn't really like that effort. There were no real excuses, a little bit dueling, but still um, you got to be able to put away a, a shot like that. Um, you know, I'm a little weary of shippers from the North Atlantic to New York, but this guy hasn't embarrassed himself either on his two previous trips to New York, uh, finishing in the money in a minor stakes and then losing to Yalpon and Basin, which are definitely no shame in that amongst this, this group. So, you know, I'm, I'm a little concerned that the last effort was too good to be true. I'm going to have to deal with, uh, with a couple other horses here. But, you know, some of these horses have kind of been there, done that, getting a little bit older. Um, and, and wonder where Craig is, is one as a four-year-old that, that I think could have, you know, a little bit of a chance for, for improvement. But again, I, I was a little bit concerned with that last uh, effort in that was real high speed figure seemingly came out of nowhere. And we might as well go through the other of the speeds in here. Wind of change. You pick up a Rad Ortiz for Safi Joseph. This is one of the older horses in the race. He's a six-year-old, but the case can be made that he's actually in the best form of his career at this point. He's another one shipping in from out of town. Haven't seen him since the end of May. Uh, overall feelings on this horse. Is it a, a, do you, do you like him? Do you not like him? Is the pace situation going to be a concern from a gambling standpoint, whenever a rat Ortiz shows up, you can basically guarantee you're going to end up getting, I don't want to say the short end of the stick, but you're not going to get the price. You probably should. <laughs> right. Yeah. That's on my, on my notes here. Anytime I read is on a horse in New York, you're probably going to attract some wagering attention. Uh, really visually impressive last out winner of the, of the stakes uh, in Monmouth. And, you know, Safi has really moved him up as he is, uh, apt to do sometimes, lots of early speed. Um, but there were a couple things that, that gave me a little bit of pause. Uh, one is, you know, for whatever reason, it seems like uh, Safi's 
um, form hasn't quite, you know, he's the man in South Florida, but it seems like at least so far at Saratoga, uh, it hasn't quite been translated so far. Uh, I also don't quite know what to make of this whole uh, Monmouth no whip, you know, rule and, um, and you know, winning that race uh, in, in a visually impressive manner, but I, I just don't know how that translates over. Um, and then the other thing I noticed looking at the, at the past performances is, you know, is this horse uh, a wet track freak? So um, he won last out on the sloppy track. Um, and amazingly, out of his eight lifetime wins, seven have been over wet tracks. Uh, now I didn't, I didn't, wasn't able to quite access those videos from Brazil for the uh, for his first <laughs> couple of races, so I have to take the past performances for uh, for what they're worth. But um, uh, you know, I'm thinking that maybe the last performance was a free kind of wet track, and given the likely short price, um, I, I don't know. Set, certainly could win, uh, as could as could Wonderwood Craigus. But you know, I'm thinking it'd probably be one of the shorter prices, if not. He, he may be one of those rare instances. Typically, uh, I'll never forget, Dan Illman was the one who sort of uh, instilled this in me. The idea that for the vast majority of thoroughbreds, they don't, none of them really like running on a wet track. It's just who hates it less? Well, right. there are those rare instances that horses do genuinely love it. Perhaps Wind of Change is one. The, the obvious one that comes to mind for me is Exaggerator. When he caught a wet track, he ran far and away the best races of his career, the Santa Anita Derby, the Preakness, just to name a couple of them, the Haskell as well, I believe. So it, maybe he is genuinely one of those and knock on wood for, I think all of our sake, we would like to see fast and firm on Friday. Uh, so if that's the case, maybe that drops him down a notch or two as well. So those are the speeds of the inside three horses, whether it's my boy Tate, Shasha, shake me up, or even the three horse bone raison there. They do. I would say predominantly, predominantly their running comes from slightly off of it. Some of them have shown the ability to lay a little closer, but they're probably going to rally into some sort of a pace situation of the inside three. Is there one that you were a little bit more taken by than the others? Yeah. You know, I think both my boy Tate and Bon Razan have had uh, some success in this race in previous years, uh, but they're getting Bon Razan won the race two years ago. My boy Tate has actually finished uh, second in the race twice um, but my boy Tate's getting a little longer in the tooth than around forever, done most of his best running versus state reds, uh, but has never been out of the money in Saratoga, but it's fair to wonder whether uh, his best days might be behind him. Uh, Bowen Rizan, also fair to wonder that as well, might leave himself with a little bit too much work to do, as you noted a couple of weeks ago when you were going through your, your expert analysis, coming from further back at Saratoga at six figures, hasn't, six furlongs, I'm sorry, hasn't been working out too often this year. So Bonrazan was a was a pass for me. So that leaves number two, uh, which is a name that I, I really don't like. Just sh shake me up. Uh, but I kept kind of coming back uh, to number two. Initially, I looked at the form and said, okay, claim from Peter Miller. It's kind of tough to move off up off of that. But Peter uh, Walter is really good numbers and positive ROI with first time off claim. Um, then I kind of said, well, if Miller's willing to give him up, then why am I interested? Uh, but he was claimed by Miller in November for 50K, and then he lost him for 80K. So it still kind of worked out for the connection. So that's not a total negative. Um, and then I said, well, it's kind of a class hike to go from claiming, you know, claiming rates to, to stakes. But remember, this is kind of a stakes for, you know, some lesser horses and not as much of a class hike as you might think. That last purse in that claiming race was for 105K. This one's for 125. So 
Um, good workouts, you know, since shifting over to the barn and, and a little cutback in distance could maybe just sit off the pace uh, with the outside horses all set to, as we talked about, show that, uh, show that speed. So maybe if they go at each other, and I'm thinking that this is one where, you know, it's not going to be one of the top uh, top choices, and so maybe could could get a price. So it's tough to know without the uh, the money, the, the morning lines out, but I was really looking at number two as a possible price uh, play um, and, and another one that's only four. So it would have to move up a little bit, but maybe has uh, has the uh, chance to do so, whereas some of these other ones have kind of already shown what, they, what they're well, doing. To your point, you go and take a look at that career record at six furlongs, four times in the exacta from five lifetime starts with a couple of victories in there. And you bring up the, the claiming off of Peter Miller. I think the thing that, I've kind of come to really look for is not even necessarily who the horse is being claimed from, which I do recognize there is, that's an important piece. You want to know who the, you know, whose barn this horse is exiting, but more a matter of does the new barn, do they typically just come right back and win? Do they keep them good? Or is it a matter of they strike while the iron's hot, the horse is in good form. They think they can get a win out of them right now. And then who knows, maybe down the road, they end up dropping them back in for a tag and somebody else takes them out of their barn. Some of these outfits are very good at just grabbing them, winning right back, and then trying to cut ties later on down the road, maybe even willing to drop them in for a 50 or an 80 or something like that. So I think there's definitely some reason to believe this kind of horse, Shasha shake me up with the tactical speed that he's shown in the past coming off of a, what you could really argue is as good a race as anyone is coming into this race off of. And that most recent startup of the spa going a slightly shorter distance, uh, which is probably going to be to his liking. I think there's plenty of reason to look at this horse and say, why not get involved with this one at what should be a decent enough price. I think uh, all things considered for a six horse field. So the number two, Shasha shake me up. I think that's definitely an intriguing way to go in here. Uh, Jeff Siraki, that is going to be your selection for race number nine on Friday at Saratoga, the, I guess the second half of the Friday feature. If you want to be in Jeff's position or Howard's position from earlier in the show next week, you need to leave your selection for either or both. I'm, I'm taking them all, whatever you got for selections, leave them beneath the video player on YouTube. If you're correct, I will try to contact you in a much more timely fashion than I did with Jeff or with some other folks who unfortunately have, you know, felt the wrath in the past, but I just haven't, you know, I've been bad about it, but um, Jeff, I appreciate you coming on. I, I thought, you know, you, you, you tried to soft sell things before we came on saying, no, you know, maybe I'm not going to offer up the, the best as far as handicapping and info goes. I thought you did a bang up job. So if this is just the tip of the iceberg, when we get you back on here down the road, uh, you know, if there is a forward move, you're going to be up into the 110 buyers. Well, thank you. I appreciate that. I knew this was coming. So I had a little bit of time to prep as opposed to usual where I'm juggling the two kids and you know, I'm looking on my phone and there's three minutes to go and I got to get something in. Uh, so this one I was able to plan for and only six horses too. So, you know, like I said at the start, anyone can win. <laughs> Jeff, I appreciate the time. Good luck with this race and hopefully we'll talk again soon. All right. Take care. All right. There you have it again. Thank you to both Howard and Jeff. If you want to be in their position next week, you need to leave a selection or two selections for both of the races beneath the video player on YouTube. Uh, if you're correct, I'll contact you. You only need to have one of the two correct. So there's really no reason not to leave picks for both of them. But point being, if you only like one of them, 
you only need to leave one. If you're correct, I'll contact you. We'll get some time set up for next Monday for you to come on and be the guest for the Friday feature. However you listen to this thing, thank you for doing so. Many ways to find the show. Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, InTheMoneyPodcast.com, as well as YouTube. Over on YouTube, search bar Matt Burner, your show. You get this episode along with the 76 prior. Uh, until next Monday. Don't forget about Horse Player Happy Hour coming up this week. Myself, PTF, talking about all sorts of good stuff. Uh, That'll be Thursday afternoon. And get involved with the contest as well over on horseplayers.com. Until next Monday, good luck however you play, whatever you play, and wherever you play. This has been episode 77 of the Matt Burner Show.